Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Content that it might bless our lives and bring us closer to you, as we pray in Christ's name. If you would go back to the early parts of the 8th chapter of Matthew, you would discover that Jesus had healed on this particular day, of which we read the scripture, some other people. He had healed a leper. The leper came to him and asked to be cleansed. And in the third verse, Jesus said, I will be thou clean. A little bit later in the chapter, a centurion had come to him and said, I have a servant that is ill. Jesus said, I will come and heal him. He goes into Peter's home where his mother-in-law is ill. She's lying on a bed with a fever and he heals her. Then the scripture says that it was evening time. And all of a sudden, they brought people to him to be healed from all over the community. The theologians who study the scripture say that very likely all of this was taking place on the Sabbath, and the Jews did not believe that anything like this ought to take place on the Sabbath day, and so there wasn't much healing being done except the, uh, the leper, the centurion, who probably didn't follow the pattern of the Jews as far as the Sabbath day was concerned, and then he was in Peter's house, and he healed his mother-in-law. But then the Sabbath was over, six o'clock, and they flocked to him, asking that they that he would heal them. And the scripture says that he healed many of them, many of them that were demon-possessed. He cast out the evil spirits, and he did it simply with a word. Everyone is coming to be healed. For everyone has a need. And Jesus was willing to provide the healing that they asked for. But I want you to notice what they were asking for. They wanted to be healed of their physical illnesses. Of their diseases. There's nothing wrong in that. And Jesus granted to their every request. We even have no record in any of this that he asked them to believe on him. They simply brought their ill, their mentally ill, and their physically ill, and asked Jesus to heal them, and he restored them to health. No questions asked. They didn't ask for spiritual healing. And yet that is the greatest need that they had. In the 17th verse, he quotes from an Old Testament passage, but Matthew says, he himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. Jesus became personally involved. He himself 
reflects personal involvement. We live in a society that does not want to become personally involved. And oftentimes we neglect consideration and things that we might do for our friends and our neighbors, for the stranger, or for the close relative, or for our loved one, because we don't want to get involved. And you've heard the horror stories as I have heard them from New York to Charleston, perhaps even to your own community, in which we have turned deaf ear and said, we cannot get involved. We will pass by on the other side. This oftentimes is the problem that man has, but Jesus said he himself <clears throat> took upon himself the infirmities of the, of the people. He had compassion upon them. Matthew 9.36 says very frankly, and seeing the multitudes, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast and as sheep without a shepherd. And he asked nothing in return. He would give of that which he could, which was to heal their bodies, for, for which they, they had made request. And they would take this healing of their diseases and go their way. Why did he heal them? Number one, I think we would say that he healed them because he loved them. But I think more importantly, he healed them because he saw disease as the evidence of sin. Do you realize had there never been sin, there would have been no disease? Do you realize had Eve not eaten that apple and given it to Adam and nobody from that time on had done it, you would never have had a cold? or cancer. Those of us who are diabetic would not have had diabetes. Those of us who has physical maladies, crippling diseases, heart attacks, and all the other things that face mankind would never have been and Jesus healed the disease because it was a reflection of something more deep. And that was it reflected sin. He, in fact, was not just healing the leper or easing the fever of Peter's mother, but he was destroying the sin that caused those things. And this is the reason that he himself became involved in the affairs of man. Not to heal the diseases, but to cure the sin that caused the disease. And that is why he came. To deliver me, to deliver you from sin, of which disease is its mere reflection. When the angels made the announcement on the top of that little hill to the shepherds at the birth of Christ, they said, I bring you good news of great joy, 
But all your diseases will be healed. No, no. The good news was that sin would be destroyed by the power of Jesus Christ. And the day is coming when that will be true. Jesus came not to heal diseases. He came to destroy sin. He did not die for disease. He died for sin. The problem is, now we're to the point of the message. The problem is, this world will accept from the hand of Jesus Christ everything except the destruction of sin in a person's life. Now listen. We will be glad to receive his healing. And we pray for the healing of people's bodies. And we have seen the results of our prayer in the lives of many people. Those people will accept that prayer of ours and gladly receive the healing of the body. And we pray and we put people on our prayer list as we ought to do and that's very important for us to be concerned about the physical lives of the people for whom we pray. But I'm saying to you that Jesus Christ came for a deeper purpose than that. And it is that purpose that ought to occupy our attention, ought to occupy our time, ought to occupy our prayer. And that is that sin would be destroyed that will condemn a soul to hell. We will pray for your body, but it's more important that we pray for your soul. And if you do not know Jesus Christ this morning, the question that I must ask you, as reflected in the title, why do people refuse to be saved? I did not ask why do people refuse to be delivered from illness. I know of no one who would refuse that. But I know of great numbers of people who refuse to be saved. And I want to simply make two quick points this morning. People refuse to be saved because there's a barrier that they set up that they will not get over. There are two of them that I think that we need to talk about. Number one, people refuse to be saved because of the barrier of personal comfort. And the second, because of the barrier of personal riches. Now hear me out on these two points. Jesus did not promise an easy life as a Christian. And those of you who are new Christian, hear me, please. Don't think that your life is going to be a bed of roses because you have now accepted Jesus Christ. It will not. You will still have the same temptations and the same problems, the same difficulties that life will offer anybody else. There's one difference. You have somebody to assist you in overcoming those difficulties. But you'll still face the problems. Now, a man came to Jesus after he had witnessed the uh, healing of the leper and the, the healing of the centurion's son, or, or servant rather, and the healing of uh, 
uh, Peter's mother-in-law and the various other people, he was very excited and he said, he was a scribe, he said, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. That's an easy statement to make. It's more difficult to fulfill it. I'll follow you wherever you will go. And Jesus turned and said to him, Now I want you to consider what you have said very carefully. He said, Foxes have holes. Birds have nests. But the Son of Man doesn't even have a place to lay his head. I'm going where there are no physical comforts. I'm not going to have a pocket full of money and a home to go to at the end of the day. I have nothing. And you who are well off and comfortable, you're saying you're going to follow me? You'd better consider what you're saying. A strong profession does not necessarily mean a strong commitment. We can make statements. This is one of the problems that we in the church have of making strong statements that we don't have strong commitment to. If you say it, you better believe it. If you believe it, you better practice it. A strong statement like this man made might discover, my, you might find in your life that you're going to fall by the wayside like he did. We have no evidence that this man ever complied with his statement. When Jesus pointed out that it was not going to be easy, the man fades from the picture. No, he did not promise an easy life. There are many good times, Christians. Those people who will get on the bandwagon and as long as things are going fine, we'll be there to support. But once there comes difficulties in the church or in a person's life or in the community, we find some people suddenly fading out of the picture, never to be seen again until things are back in order. Listen, Jesus is asking for people to stay through it thick and thin. He's asking for those who will be Christian in good time and bad. He wants somebody who is going to follow him wherever he might go. If it means poverty, we'll go through poverty. If it means physical difficulties, we'll go through physical difficulties. If it means criticism, we'll accept the criticism. We'll go wherever he goes. And that's the statement that this young man was making. And he, when he discovered really what he had said, he faded by the wayside. The church will be strong when it's full of people who don't fade, who have some backbone, who will back up their strong profession with a strong commitment. This man didn't have it. And when persecution comes, we find people who will fall along the wayside. And when the criticism comes and when the hurt feelings come, when it's no longer any fun, the people who are still there are the people who have put commitment to the profession. That's what we need to make a strong body that follows Jesus Christ. And to those of you who are young Christian, I want to particularly say this this morning. Don't think 
your life is going to be easy. But you have made a strong profession. Live close to the Lord that you will follow it up with a strong commitment. What you have said you meant, and we will see the evidence of that in your life from this point forward. And we're looking forward to you to be strong committers to Jesus Christ and his word. I suppose you, like me, have gone to watch parades, and there's nothing more exciting than seeing soldiers on parade. They're there in their fine uniforms and their guns over, well, the right shoulder, I guess, is the way they carry them. I carry mine over the left. Um, my, don't they look fine. And it's, it causes us to swell up with pride. And, and I suppose every young boy in those periods of time thinks, I want to be a soldier. I want to be like those fellas with, with a gun over my my uh, shoulder and the fine uniform on and everybody standing and cheering and encouraging them on. But listen, that's only one side of being a soldier. There is the day when he's down in the foxhole in the mud. There's a day when he's being shot at. There's a day when his life has been put on the line. It's not fun then. But that's what soldiering is all about. And that's what being a Christian is all about, is to have the stick to us down in the foxhole when things are not so great. We've been on the mountaintop throughout all the revival, and what a tremendous experience it was. And now we've suddenly gone down into the valley. That's where we live, and that's where we're going to show our true colors. Yes, the gospel is demanding. It's costly. I'm not talking about just money. It certainly costs money. But it costs one's personal commitment. I'll never forget going to a home of a lady who was a member of my church one time to visit. She hadn't been to church. So I thought it was time i go visit her. And I knocked on the door. I had to introduce myself to my member of my church because she'd never been there. And I was encouraging her to come and say, and you know, all the nice things the preacher says, we need your support and all those things, you know. And she thought support meant finances, which partially it does. And so her response to me was, well, I thought it was free. <laughs> now, to follow Jesus Christ is not free. It cost the Lord his life to give us something he gave it freely to us, and we can freely receive it, but to follow him is costing us our commitment. On one occasion, the disciples had heard him preach, not just his apostles, the twelve, but others, and they just couldn't take the strong preaching that he was dishing out, and they finally started leaving him, and he turns to his apostles, he said, will you go away also? It's tough sometimes to hear the gospel and, and remain faithful to it. And I'm sure the Lord asked you and me many times, will you go away also? Or will you stay when times get tough? Right, there's another fellow that says to him, uh, Lord, I'll follow you, but first let me go home and bury my father. I spent a lot of time on this because, you know, 
I think during revival I, I commented as to the meaning of this verse. I want to take it a step further than I did during the revival. He was not saying, I want to go home because my father died and bury him. He, want, he is saying, I want to go home and wait until my father dies, and then I'll come and follow you. The real underlying meaning of what he was saying is, Lord, if I follow you now, I won't get my inheritance. I want to wait until my father dies and I inherit what is coming to me, then I'll come and follow you. He was placing so much importance upon his financial receipts that he could not consider giving up physical wealth in order to provide that which the Lord was requiring. And this is the second thing that gets in the way of people becoming Christian and following Christ as they ought, is they are afraid of having to put emphasis upon something else besides their physical welfare. There is nothing wrong in having money. I would never say that there is. And really, whether one is rich or not, it just depends upon the one who is talking. If you have a penny and I have zero, you're rich. If I have a penny and you have two, you're twice as rich as I am. Richness is a relative term. We're all wealthy in a certain degree in the eyes of somebody, so we can't talk about that which is somebody who is wealthy as opposed to somebody who is not, and most of us, and probably all of us, would put ourselves in the category of something less than wealthy. But whatever that physical thing is that, that a person is desiring in life becomes his uh, point of riches, to some people, it's the desire for fame, to be well recognized, to have your name in the paper. So when you walk down the street, to have people turn their head and know who you are. There's nothing wrong in being known and recognized, but if it becomes such an obsession with one that he is more interested in having fame than he is in serving the Lord, and there are people like that, then it becomes his riches. Some people are interested in beauty, some in position, and some certainly in money, or whatever else might be. The Lord wants someone who will not be so involved in personal gain that he won't give of his time and his energy and his talent and his money to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what that's talking about. The question is, where do we put our emphasis? What is important to us? Is it important that we gain physically, or is it important that we serve the Lord Jesus Christ however he might lead us, and wherever he might go? That's a question that we must resolve. The scripture says that he that puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not worthy of the kingdom of God. Many people have taken that verse of scripture to indicate that if you uh, accept Jesus Christ and start out, and then you decide you're not going to follow him, that you can lose your salvation. No, that's not what that's talking about at all. It, it, it doesn't follow that line of thinking. 
It means when you put your hand to the plow, you look at your goal, which is Jesus Christ, and you put your whole energy and life in following that furrow to your object. But too many times, our lives are spent in looking down at our feet. And we cannot plow the furrow like we ought, or we're too much interested in looking behind to see where we have been. A person who looks backward can't go straight forward. You try looking over your shoulder and walk straight. I defy you to do it. You can't. We must not be desirous to look back to the way we once were. And again, you young, young Christians, listen. Don't look back to what you used to be. Look forward to what you must be in Jesus Christ. Plow that furrow forward. Don't look back to what you did have. And this is what happens in the lives of many Christians that makes them fit into that verse. And that is suddenly their eyes begin to shift and they're looking sideways or backwards. This is what Peter's problem was when he walked on the water. Remember that Jesus came to them walking on the top of the sea? There was a, the, the waves were terrible. And Peter and John looked out there and there was the Lord walking on the water. And Peter said, Lord, is that you? The Lord said, yes. And he said, well, if it is really you, let me come walking out to you on the water. And then the Lord said, come on. Now let me see how much faith you've got. Will you get down out of that boat with Peter and walk across the top of those waves to meet the Lord, stand out there on top of the water? Can you walk on water? Yes, you can walk on water if you've got enough faith. Peter walked on water until his faith began to fail. What caused his faith to fail? He began to look at where he was and pay attention to his personal welfare and realize all of a sudden that he was walking on water and he couldn't walk on water. And he began to sink and he had to cry out to the Lord to, to save him. When we keep our faith in Jesus Christ and follow what he says, we will walk on water. If that's what he wants... But we won't do it by looking at our feet, or we won't do it by looking behind us. What keeps people from following Jesus Christ? Personal comfort and personal welfare. We've got to get those things out of our mind. As Christian people, we must not be concerned about what is good for us physically. We must be concerned about what is good for the kingdom of God. What is our job and our purpose in his kingdom? If it means having money and using it rightly, and some people, the Lord will use that way, that's fine. But if it means having nothing but still serving the Lord, we're still to do that which he wants us to do. If it means walking on water, if it means having nothing, if it means all the discomforts in the world, our object is to follow Jesus Christ. A strong profession must be followed by a strong commitment. Both of these men faded from the scene because they couldn't back up what they said. The question is, as Christian people this morning, do we back up our profession? Do we do what we say? Or is there something in our way that's a barrier? If you're not a Christian this morning, what's keeping you from becoming one of that group? I suspect that you would find and it probably falls in, in one of these or both of these categories as well. You will receive from the Lord all he will dish out. 
in benefits, except you will not accept him as your savior so that he can get rid of sin in your life. And probably why you won't do that is because it's difficult to be a Christian. You know what's difficult. Or it might mean you're going to spend more time serving the Lord than you want to give. That's what both of these guys were up against. And they ceased to follow. They never really committed themselves to him. Jesus said, will you go away also? How about you? Is your profession followed up by a strong commitment? Shall we pray? Our Father, we thank you for that which you have taught us in your word. We need to commit ourselves to you for more than just physical things in life because there is a need in the heart of every person for the cleansing of our lives from sin. There is a person in this congregation who has never Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.